want to invite you to open up your Bibles to the book of First Peter today. We're going to be in chapter 4. Start in verse 14. We're continuing through the text. If you're new here, what we've been doing for the last really year or so is going verse by verse through the book of First Peter. And there's really one major overarching theme throughout the book, and that is Peter is teaching believers how to suffer well. Now, throughout the book, Peter has engaged so far with two kinds of suffering. We're going to get into the third kind of suffering today, but let's talk for a second about three kinds of suffering that a believer will endure. Number one, first kind of suffering that a follower of Christ will endure in this world is suffering because we live in a fallen, sinful world. You're going to suffer as a believer just because you live in a fallen, sinful world. Things like cancer and category five hurricanes or poverty, car crashes. We could go on and on and on. You're going to suffer as a believer just because you live in this world. And even for believers, I don't care what the health, wealth, gospel people say, that kind of suffering is inevitable. Two weeks ago, we talked about the fact that God actually allows that kind of suffering in our lives to test the genuineness of our faith. And then if our faith is found to be genuine, that's going to result in praise and honor and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. There's another kind of suffering Peter addresses. Talks about it often. Number two, that is suffering for the name of Christ. Suffering because you are a believer. All throughout the New Testament. Pretty much every single writer in the New Testament tells us that you and I will experience suffering. We will experience persecution simply because we're believers and because of the name of Jesus Christ. And that kind of suffering, too, is absolutely unavoidable. Now, everybody listen really, really carefully here. And I don't want you to miss this part that I'm about to talk about, because later on in the sermon, it's going to be really key for us to understand what Peter's saying next. But Peter tells us that when we suffer because we're a believer, when we suffer because we live in a fallen world and God is testing the genuineness of our faith, or we suffer because of the name of Christ and we're being persecuted, and all those, in those two cases, Peter tells us when we experience that kind of suffering, we're blessed. You think, how in the world are we blessed if we're suffering? And he tells us. So the reason that we're blessed when we suffer as a Christian is because the Holy Spirit of God draws near to us in those moments of suffering. That the Holy Spirit rests on us in a unique and powerful way that really only can be experienced when we're engaging in suffering as a believer. It says that in 1 Peter 4, 14. Let's read it together. Peter says, if you're insulted for the name of Christ... You are blessed. Why? Because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. Do you believe that today? That's what Jimmy was talking about. Guys have been believers, a lot of you, for a long time, and you've seen that as you've walked through suffering. You've experienced the nearness of God in your life. That's the promise of the scripture. But today... He's going to talk about a third kind of suffering that a believer can experience. And this is the kind of suffering, this third kind of suffering is not suffering because you live in a fallen world. It's not suffering because of the name of Jesus. 
But this third kind of suffering, number three, is suffering you experience because of the consequence of your own sin. Suffering you experience because of the consequences of your own sin. Go back to verse 14. He says, if you're insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. But look at verse 15. He says, but let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. Okay, that's the sermon today. We're gonna talk about verse 15. Peter says, look guys, look church, suffering is coming. Because of the name of Christ and because you live in a fallen world, you're gonna suffer. And so when that happens, it's okay because you're blessed because the Holy Spirit of God is gonna come to you and draw near to you in a powerful way. And so what he's saying though is that when you suffer because of your sin, when you suffer because there's sin in your life, you're not blessed. That there's a way that you can suffer and that's because of your own sin that does not guarantee the nearness of the presence of God. And that's when you are suffering because you have sin and consequences of that sinning has entered into your life. Let me give you a quick example. I'm not talking about the punishment of God. I'm talking about the natural earthly consequences of sin in our lives. Give me an example. How many of you guys in here, raise your hand real quick. If you own a business or owned a business or you're some management position, raise your hand real quick. Okay, a lot of us, all right? I want you to imagine that you have an employee and that employee is a Christian. And, but they get a couple years into the job and you realize, because you're over them, you realize that they're a really bad employee. They're horrible at their job. And so you start kind of watching them and tracking them. You realize, man, they show up consistently late to work. They're always complaining. They're consistently doing below average work. And so you come to them and you address the issue Put it in writing even, but nothing changes. And so finally you get to the point where you gotta let them go. You gotta let them go. And their friends, a couple days later, their friends come up to them and ask them, man, what's going on? You look so sad. And that former employee of yours looks back at their friends and said, man, I'm, I'm going through a season of suffering right now, which is a true statement. And so the friend asked them, well, well why? Why, why are you going through a season of suffering? And the employee responds, well, the enemy's just attacking me right now. Or I'm going through a season of suffering because I'm being persecuted at work, right? You ever heard something like that? Neither of those are true statements. That person isn't experiencing suffering because they're being attacked by the enemy. They're not experiencing suffering because they're going through persecution at work. They're experiencing suffering because they're a bad employee. That's what Peter's talking about today. He's saying, look, because you're a believer, you live in a messed up world, suffering is inevitable. And so the last thing in the world you need to do is bring more suffering in your life because of your sin. Now, what he does next is he lists four specific sins that you can commit that will bring unnecessary suffering into your life. Okay, let's read him, 1 Peter four fifteen. Peter says, but let none of you suffer as a murderer, a thief, an evildoer, or as a meddler. Okay, so listen, Peter just listed four really specific sins that you can commit 
that will bring unnecessary suffering in his life. And the thing that hit me like a ton of bricks on Tuesday is that's a really interesting list of sins that he just wrote down. Of all the sins that he could have talked about that we can commit to bring suffering into our life, that's an interesting one. Here they are, let's look at them. There's murder, there's theft, there's evil doing, and there's meddling. Look at those for a second. Murder, theft, evil doing, and meddling, okay? So to understand why he chose those four particular sins to talk about, hey, we need to make sure we're not doing them, so we don't, we don't bring unnecessary suffering in our lives. So let's take a minute and, look, and walk through each of them. The first one, um, the first sin Peter says, hey, you need to avoid, don't bring suffering in your life is murder. It's pretty obvious, right? That's the intentional taking of a human life. All right, so let's say for instance that um, something crazy happens and a, and a Christian commits murder or maybe even non-Christian commits murder and they come to Christ and at some point after the murder, the person realizes the horror of their actions and they completely repent to the Lord and they beg God's forgiveness for what they've done. Does the Lord forgive them? Yes, 100%. Does the Lord, if they ask him to, if they ask for forgiveness, plead the blood of Christ over that sin in their life, does God remove the eternal consequences of their sin? Yes, 100%. But just because God forgives them of their sin and God removes the eternal consequences of their sin, that doesn't mean that they're not gonna incur suffering here on this earth because of their sin. They committed murder. They're going to jail. They might get the death penalty, but they brought that suffering on themselves because they murdered someone, right? Second sin is theft. Same concept as murder. Um, if you steal something, God can forgive you if you ask him, but you're gonna suffer the earthly consequences of that theft, okay? That's pretty simple. Let's look at the third one. The third sin, Peter writes in addressing this list of things we need to avoid and not do to bring unnecessary suffering in, his life, in our lives. Look at verse 15 again. He says, but let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer. Peter says, make sure you're not suffering because you're an evildoer. Now that sounds a lot worse than it actually is. When you look at the Greek itself, you, you get a, a, an idea of what that means to be an evildoer. Back in the day, that was a word that was often used to describe a crime that you committed against your community that would incur the consequences of the government. That particular Greek word. Uh, it's a weird translation to English, evildoer but it, was, it meant someone that broke a law of the land and incurred the consequences of, of the government. So this is a biblical argument for obeying the laws of the land. For example, if you don't pay your taxes, what happens? They'll levy your wages, the government does that. If you drive too fast on the highway, what happens? You get a ticket. If you get too many tickets, what happens? You lose your license. And Peter's point there is if you're experiencing those things, yes, you are in some sense experiencing suffering, but you're not experiencing suffering because you're persecuted and you're not experiencing suffering because the enemy's attacking you and you're not experiencing suffering because you live in a fallen world. You're experiencing suffering because you didn't pay your taxes and you were driving like a maniac, right? So if you break the laws of the land, you're going to bring unnecessary suffering in your life, so make sure you're not suffering 
as an evildoer. Now, the final sin that he lists there that can cause unnecessary suffering in your life is a really, really interesting one. And I'll tell you why in just a second. Look at verse 15 again. He says, but let none of you suffer as a murderer, as a thief, as an evildoer, or as a meddler, as a meddler. Peter says, hey, everybody, make sure you're not incurring unnecessary suffering in your life because you're a meddler. Now, what in the world's a meddler, and why is meddling a sin? Well, listen, fascinating word, fascinating word. It's the, the word meddler here, we translate it into meddler, is the Greek word allotrios episkopos. Now, I'm gonna tell you why this is interesting. Because it's the only time in the entire Bible this word is used. It's used one time in the whole Bible, and it's right here. And what's even more interesting is that as far as we know, up to that point, that word had never been used in the history of ancient literature. And so it's entirely ancient Greek literature. It's entirely possible and likely that Peter made this word up. Go look it up. People think, we don't know where, the, I mean, we don't know. It's actually, you see it used after Peter uses it, but he is the first known reference to this word. I think the dude made it up, all right? Because he was trying, he's like, there's this sin in the church, and it's there all the time, and I don't know what to call it. All right, Allotrius Episcopus. Now, let's get our mind around it. Let's get our mind around it. Here's what Peter did. I'm gonna put this up on the screen to help us understand what he's doing. He took the Greek word alatrios, which means other men's matters or other people's business. And he combined it with the Greek word episkopos, which is interestingly the Greek word for elder or pastor or overseer, Okay. Let's, let's, let's talk for a second about that word episkopos, which means elder, pastor, overseer. Okay, scripturally speaking, guys, what are elder pastors, overseers? What are they? They're God-appointed leaders, God-appointed leaders that exercise authority and oversight over the church. Okay, in Acts uh, chapter 20, verse 17, Paul was speaking to these elder pastor, overseer guys in the church in Ephesus. And so let's look at 2017 for a second. It says, now from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. And then a few verses later, I want you to watch what Paul says to these elders. In Acts 20, 28, Paul tells them, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. That's Episcopos care for the church of God. Okay, so when Paul uses the word episkopos, he's talking about men that were a God-appointed authority over the church. Okay, so here's what Peter does. Takes the Greek word alatrios, which means other men's matters, and then he takes the word episkopos, and he forms a brand new word, alatrios episkopos, and here's what that word means. It means a self-appointed authority over other men's matters. A self-appointed authority over other men's matters. 
And the best word we have in the English to translate that into, because we've never seen the word before, is meddler. Meddler. When you look at 1 Peter 4.15 in the, in the King James, um, for all you King James folks out there, I looked at the King James this week. You can be proud of me. And the King James, it translates Alatrios, Episcopos, as busybody. A busybody is somebody that's constantly busying themselves and sticking their nose in other people's business that they have no authority over. It's a word that carries with it the idea of being a gossip. It's a word that carries with it the idea of being a, a pot stir. And this was obviously a sin that was pretty common in the church because Paul addresses a very similar concept in First and Second Thessalonians. Don't turn there. I just want you to listen to what Paul says about it. It's the same concept. In First Thessalonians 4.11, Paul says, aspire to live quietly and to mind your own affairs. In 2 Thessalonians 3.11, Paul says, for we hear that some among you walk in idleness, not busy at work, but busy bodies. Okay, well, here's what Paul just said. Paul said, look, you aren't keeping yourselves busy with your own work because you're too busy keeping yourself busy with other people's stuff. So don't do that. Live quietly. Mind your own business. And a couple of thousand years ago, Peter was writing to these New Testament believers and he's writing them about suffering. And he writes, you're gonna suffer. Believer, follower of Christ, you're going to suffer. And so I wanna teach you how to suffer well. And so make sure when suffering comes that you don't suffer as a murderer, don't suffer as a thief, don't suffer as an evildoer. And then he pauses and thinks, what is a word that I could use to describe all these people in the church that constantly gossip and constantly stick their nose in everybody else's business because they've made themselves an authority over everything. All right, I got it. I'm gonna make a word up. <laughs> Don't suffer as an Alatrias Episcopus. He's literally saying, make sure you're not suffering because you've made yourself and appointed yourself an authority over everybody else's business. This is a crystal clear calling in the word of God not to be a meddling, gossiping potster in the body of Christ. The Bible calls it a sin. So with that in mind, let's look at the text one more time. 1 Peter 4, 14. If you're insulted for the name of Christ, you're blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. But let none of you, Christians, Surfer as a murderer, a thief, an evildoer, or as a meddler. Now, here's the question, guys. Everybody look at me. Why those four sins? Out of all the sins in the world he could have written right there that incur suffering in our lives, we need, why those four specific sins? Why, why murder, theft, evildoing, and meddling? Okay, well, there's one of two options of what he's doing. There's one of two things that he's doing here. Number one, those were the four specific sins that that early church was actually dealing with. 
murder, theft, evil doing, and meddling. But I really think that's unlikely. They're Christians for crying out loud. They're probably not walking around murdering people. Right? So let's take a poll just to make sure. Raise your hand if you've committed murder lately. Just raise your hand. Nobody. How many of y'all have been tempted to commit murder lately? No, I don't do that. Don't raise your hand on that. All right? Um, police officers, I want you to close your eyes. All right? What about theft? How many of y'all have stolen something? That you, you know, you just straight run and stole something? Nobody. Of course you didn't. Probably true for the New Testament church. I don't think they were murdering people. I don't think they were stealing people. They're Christians, all right? But let's keep going. What about evildoing? What about breaking the minor laws of the land and incur consequences? Be honest, God is watching. How many of y'all got a ticket in the last five years? Some of y'all are lying right now, but a lot of you are being honest. If my wife were here, she'd have to raise her hand. I'm gonna get her in the 1115. And finally, last one, meddling. I want you to raise your hand if you've been a gossiping, pot-stirring busybody that's made yourself an authority over other people's matters. There's a lot more honest people in this crowd than I was expecting, but y'all kind of went. I know there's nobody that would ever do that at Saismont Church. Here's the thing, I think the, I think the more likely scenario of why he chooses those, those four sins is not necessarily that those were the exact four sins that the church was dealing with. But I want you to listen carefully here. He's making the point that you shouldn't bring suffering in your life because of your own sin, and so he makes a list, right? And he starts with what's possibly the worst sin a person can commit in the eyes of the world that carries with it really horrible consequences. And then he kind of does another one that's theft, that's, that's still a really bad sin, but it's not quite as bad in the eyes of the world and has a little bit less severe consequences. And then he picks another sin, evil doing, that a lot more people have committed and has a little less consequences. And then he picks a sin last, meddling, that almost everybody at some point in, in your life has committed that sin. But here's the interesting thing about that is it holds almost no earthly consequences. So let's talk about that for a second. There's things that we can do. You know what I'm talking about? There's things that we can do. They're sinful and they're actually sin in the eyes of the Lord, but they don't really hold earthly consequences. You got murder, you're gonna suffer, you're going to jail. Why does Peter say meddling is gonna bring suffering in your life? Because it really doesn't have any earthly consequences. Y'all know what I'm talking about, those sins that we as Christians, the Bible clearly talks about we shouldn't do them, but we just do them anyway. Like, I call them acceptable Christian sins. They're not acceptable to God, but they're acceptable to us because we do them all the time. I got a list, y'all ready? Here we go. Number one, gluttony. <laughs> Bible actually has some pretty serious stuff to say about gluttony. It's overeating. It's eating past full. Indulging yourself with food. It's one of the seven deadly sins. The Bible clearly calls it sin. And yet there's gonna be Southern Baptists all over this country 
They're going to walk out the door. They're going to go straight to some Chinese buffet and they're going to start sitting like a big dog today at lunch. They're not going to think twice about it. They're not going to repent. They're not going to start crying. But they're sinning. Susceptible Christian sins. All right, here we go. Number two, how about love of money? Ooh. Jesus said it's the root of all evil. It's the root of all evil. He talked about money so much more than he talked about a bunch of stuff. And yet Christians, man, we do it all the time. We don't even think twice about it. Three, selfish ambition. Bible says do nothing from selfish ambition. My gosh. I, I think we do that all the time and we don't even realize it. We do it all the time. We don't even realize it. Here's another one. Acceptable Christian sin number four, meddling. <laughs> Scripture says live a quiet life. Mind your own business. Don't be a gossiping potster. But for crying out loud, folks, I don't know of another group of people that does this sin more than Christians. Now, here's a question. Why do we not think twice about committing those acceptable Christian sins? Because there's no earthly consequences for them, or very little. So with that in mind, with that in mind, look at the text one more time. 1 Peter 4, 15. But let none of you suffer as a murderer, a thief, an evildoer, as a meddler. Here's what I'm convinced Peter's doing. So listen carefully. He's making a list of sins that can bring suffering into our life. It begins with a sin that's worse than the eyes of man, which is murder. And then he ends with one of these acceptable Christian sins that almost everybody does, but nobody thinks about. And he does that to show us that all sin, from the biggest to the smallest, from murder to meddling, must all be avoided because they will all bring suffering into our lives. And that begs the question, a really important question. What kind of suffering comes into our life because of meddling? We all do it. And since meddling carries almost no earthly consequences, why does he say, make sure you're not suffering as a meddler? What kind of suffering? Does meddling bring, it, bring us? And the answer is found, I'm almost done, hang with me. The answer is found in the verse right before he says, don't suffer as a murderer, thief, evildoer, and meddler. Let's look at it, 1 Peter 4, 14, one more time. If you're insulted for the name of Christ, you're blessed. Why? Because the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. Here's the whole point of the sermon today. When you and I suffer because we're believers, when we're suffering because of the name of Christ, we are blessed because the Holy Spirit of God draws near to us in this unique and powerful way. Suffering as a believer brings a nearness of his presence like nothing else. So here's the answer to the question. What kind of suffering comes into our lives because of one of those acceptable Christian sins like meddling, because you're not gonna go to jail for being a potster. You know, you're not gonna get a ticket for being a gossiper. So what Peter's trying to show us 
is that if you're one of these people that's just kind of walking in this acceptable Christian sin, completely unrepentant of it, you are going to suffer. But you're actually going to suffer in a way that's far worse than going to jail or getting a ticket. You're going to experience, you're going to be suffering because you're going to experience the loss of the nearness of the presence of God in your life. You see, the second that you start suffering because of the name of Christ, the second you start suffering because the Lord is testing the genuineness of your faith so that he can lavish on you praise and honor and glory, the second that happens and, and, and the Holy Spirit sees you as a believer suffering, the scripture promises us that he just draws near to you and that his presence comes and envelops you. Peter's saying, look, but if you're a murderer, if you're a thief, if you're an evildoer, if you're a gossiping pot stirrer, that the Holy Spirit looks at you and, and says, no. Because the Holy Spirit doesn't like being around sin. We can't be around sin. And so Peter's whole point is that if you want to experience the nearness of the presence of God in your life, you need to avoid meddling with the same passion that you avoid murder. Because both of them hinder you from experiencing the nearness of God. Both of them hinder you from the Holy Spirit resting upon you. Here's what's at stake if we don't. Here's what's at stake. If we take a sin like meddling that we, that we all struggle with, we'll probably do it today at lunch. And just keep on rolling with it. Here's what's at stake, guys. Here's what's at stake. In my experience, and after I say this, for those that agree with what I'm saying, I want you to say amen. In my experience, there is nothing, and I mean nothing, that compares to the presence of the living God in our lives. Nothing. I've experienced it and there's nothing like it, nothing. We were created for it. That's why it feels so good. There's nothing more satisfying. If you have no idea what I'm talking about, you need to reach out to me because I want to tell you. When you encounter the presence of the living God, there's nothing like it. There's nothing more comforting. There's nothing more satisfying. There is nothing more amazing than encountering the nearness of God in your life and I fear there are a lot of us in this room that are completely missing out on, out on it because there's sin in our life that we're committing that we're not even thinking twice about. And so I wanna end today by talking to the sufferers in the room. I wanna talk first very quickly to those of you that are suffering because of your own sin, whatever it is those little sins you're committing, those big ones or those little ones, the gossip, the, the selfish ambition, the love of money, those things are hindering you from experiencing the nearness of the presence of Almighty God. And if that's you, and it is for a lot of us, I, I wanna challenge you and encourage you to turn from that sin today. Turn from it. Ask the Lord to reveal it to you and turn from it because the last thing in the world you wanna do 
is walk through this fallen world without the nearness of the presence of Almighty God. And now I want to speak to those of us who are suffering. We're walking through suffering not of our own accord. We're walking through suffering because we live in a messed up sinful world. We're walking through suffering because the name of Christ. And by the way, if you could raise your hand and say, well, I'm not currently suffering because of one of those two. Hang in there, you're going to. Two kinds of people in this world. People that are walking through suffering and people that are about to. And so we're coming to the end of this book. And I wanna read to you the final thing that Peter says about suffering in the book of 1 Peter. The very last thing, he's gonna say one final thing about suffering. And he's gonna talk about elders and a couple more things. I'm gonna read it to you. It's 1 Peter 4, 19. He's gonna say one final thing. And so for those of you that are suffering today because you live in a fallen world or, or you're, you're a Christian, I want you to hear this and I, don't want you to, I want you to remember this more than anything else in the world. The last thing Peter says, 1 Peter 4, 19. Peter says, therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. Last thing he says, he says, hey, listen, Christians, church, it's, it's gonna get ugly, it's gonna get tough, but keep doing good. Keep doing good. No matter what happens, keep doing good. And when that suffering comes, entrust your soul. It means to hand over, to commit, to give safekeeping to a faithful God who's got you. And what's so beautiful about that word, entrust your soul, that word entrust is the exact, exact same word in the original language that Jesus used when he was hanging on the cross. Did you know that? He'd been beaten within an inch of his life. Stuck a crown of thorns in his head and so he's bleeding profusely. Nails had been driven through his hands and his feet. And worst of all, He had become our sin and was bearing the sin of the world. And when Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, was going through the darkest, most unimaginable moment of suffering in his entire life, he said these words, Father, into your hands I entrust my spirit. And so if Jesus can trust the Lord in his greatest moment of suffering, then you and I can trust the Lord through ours. Amen.